0: Hey, and just real quick up top, there's a little bit of bleep and bloop that happens towards the back half of the episode. It's super minimal, but just wanted to give people a heads up. You're listening to Spooky Show with your host, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> Chugga 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 choo choo choo
1: choo. How many chuggas before a choo choo?
0: How many chugs before a choo choo if a could choo 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 chugs? I think six. Chugga 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 chugga
1: chugga chugga choo choo. Right?
0: Chugga 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 <laughs> chugga, chugga 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 choo choo. Chuck- I mean,
1: it's preference. You chuck- could chuck- go chuck- on chuck- forever chuck-
0: chuck- 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 if you chuck- wanted to. <sound> Live from the sea, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> we ons. Oh, we are. We recording. Love, we on the ones and twos. Welcome back to Spooky Show. Here on WMPR. <laughs> MPR. <MBR. laughs> Your favorite. National Public Radio.
1: Mashed Potatoes Public Radio. Mashed Potatoes
0: Public Radio. Or no, just
1: Mashed Potatoes Radio. MPR. Yeah,
0: yeah Mashed, Potatoes, Mashed Potatoes Radio.
1: If we hey. ever get a network,
0: NPR, we're going
1: to be Mashed Potatoes Radio. NPR. NPR.
0: Hey, hey and welcome back. A story today. <laughs> deep <laughs> from the horrors of the human mind
1: actually you are correct deep spooky shows happy
0: juneteenth everybody
1: yes happy juneteenth happy father's day
0: happy father's day
1: to all the dads out there happy daddy's day to all the daddies out there looking at you adam sandler just kidding mom (laughs) um i'm your host kate harrison is here and oh, that's right. We're doing a sad one today. Apologies, but
0: apologies. If you wanted to have a good start to your week, you're gonna have a bad one.
1: Can't be all fun and games.
0: Not in the world of true crime, baby.
1: Not in the world of dark history.
0: Ooh, another dark history.
1: No, it's not. But I, it's a true crime episode. But I. Classify spooky, like when people ask me, like, oh, what kind of podcast do you have? I say it's a dark history podcast because we talk about everything that has happened. True, true, true. I was also just taking a swing, so that's what I classify it as. Let me know if you disagree. Um, my manager brought this one to my attention, okay? So I said, Jonathan, I'll do that this week. Ooh, did I just dox him by saying his name?
0: (laughs) Edit clip, clip.
1: (laughs) Sorry, brother. Okay. Um, Yeah. Sad. 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 Trigger warning at the top. Children. Child abuse. Oh no. Not good stuff. So, if you don't want to listen, just listen to another app.
0: And we'll see you next week.
1: Yes. So we're talking about the Hart family. You might know this one because it's recent. It's from 2018.
0: Uh, I might. Once we start telling the story, I really might.
1: Mm-hmm. So the Hart family consisted of two mothers, Jennifer Hart and Sarah Hart. And they were a married couple who met in college. And like to everyone, tale as old as time right here, they looked like the perfect couple. And the perfect family. Yikes. Seen it before with Chris Watts.
0: And we'll probably see it again. We'll probably
1: see it again. So they had six adopted children. Dang. And their friends would even come out later and be like, we were jealous of that family. Like, they had the perfect marriage, the perfect family. The kids all dressed so nice. And they had the best social media. Like, you know, they were posting the good times. So Uh it looked so good. The family was also very much involved in different, like, activism and community service, and they volunteered at, like, the food pantry, and, of course, this was all captured on social media, and they just looked perfect. The kids were always, like, photographed, like, reading and eating their vegetables, so, you know, you could see why. On the outside, they looked like the perfect family, but... We know where this is going, behind closed doors. Somewhere bad. It was very different behind closed doors. So we'll start from the beginning. Jennifer and Sarah Hart, they were both born in 1979, just months apart from each other. They were both from South Dakota, and Jen had two siblings, Sarah had three, and they were both the oldest children. So there's not a whole lot about Sarah's childhood except her being described as, like, the more reserved one. She was more quiet. She was kind of responsible and, like, a strict rule follower. But Jennifer, on the other hand, was, like, the total opposite. She was described as very, like, vivacious and confident in the life of the party. She could also be known to be very abrasive and stern at times. And she lived with her mother for the most part because her parents were divorced. And then when she was 14, apparently she got into an argument with her mother, so she went to live with her father. And while she was living with her father, she started, you know, rebelling and getting into trouble. I think it was just like typical teenage stuff, but it caused her and her father to fight, so he told her to go back to her mom's, and she did. So this was kind of her life, growing up, going back and forth. But then Jennifer and Sarah started dating in college when they were both going to Northern State University. In 2002, Sarah graduated in special education, and Jennifer was actually going to school to be a teacher as well, but she didn't finish. She dropped out. So in 2004, the women, they moved to Minnesota, and then in 2005, Sarah changed her last name to Hart, and they both started working in retail. So it was said later that Jennifer and Sarah, they had a closeted relationship. They told all their, like, family and friends that they were just best friends and roommates. But later on in 2009, they did get married, and they made it official, but they were still, like, keeping it quiet at this point, too. Then in 2004, the two women took in what we know to be their first foster child. She was a 15-year-old girl, and she went by the name of Lee. So Lee, she's a grown adult now cuz this was back in 2004. Even admitted herself that she was like difficult to control back then. I mean, she was a foster child. She obviously was going through a lot of struggles, it's a hard, life, hard life. But in the first 6 months of her living with Jennifer and Sarah, Lee like spoke very fondly of them. Okay. And she said that they did a lot of things together. Like they went camping and they went to music festivals and amusement parks. But Sarah and Jennifer, they were a little strict with her at times. Like they wouldn't allow her to meet up with friends and whatnot. So that's when like tension started to build, especially between Jennifer and Lee in particular. I remember Jennifer's the one who was like, she could be abrasive sometimes. And Sarah was more like, Chill, quiet. So Lee, who's 15 at this time, was supposed to stay with Jennifer and Sarah until she was 18. But what one happened? day, Lee was dropped off at her therapist and Jennifer and Sarah never came back for her. So oh, she was sent to live with a new f- family immediately and her her like belongings were already at the other family's house. Okay. So like... This was planned, obviously, and this is messed up, but just so you know, like, apparently this new family she was sent to was really, really great to her. Um, But she was hurt that she never even got to say goodbye to Jennifer and Sarah because she literally had no idea this was happening. But all the therapist said to her was like, it's not your fault. The hearts were just not a good fit. So they left her and didn't say goodbye. Come to find out, though, not long after Jennifer and Sarah dropped Lee off and drove away, they took in three siblings. So, this was in the Texas foster care system, and this was around 2006. The three siblings that they took in were 7-year-old Marcus, 7-year-old Hannah, and 2-year-old Abigail. Actually, I think Hannah was younger. I think Hannah was, like, 4. I think I typed that wrong. But at this point, Jennifer and Sarah were out as a couple. So Jennifer especially was very vocal on social media, especially on Facebook. But the very first night that they took in these foster kids, Jennifer made some posts on Facebook like describing what their first night was like. And to sum it up, she made this post that said, Abigail urinated everywhere and gashed herself on the chin by falling downstairs. Hannah smeared feces everywhere and gorged herself and needed the Heimlich and then projectile vomited and Marcus hit his head on the closet wall. And then while using multiple different voices claimed to be possessed by a demon. And then at the end of this post, she wrote, if not us, who? So, Uh. Yeah. Uh, So I have no idea why she would post something like that. Um, I think maybe it was for the end of that, like, you know, if not us, who? Just to get, like, attention from everyone being like, oh, my God, you guys are so brave for dealing with that, you know? Why
0: would you post that?
1: Exactly. And, like, I wonder if that even happened.
0: Me, too. I wonder, too.
1: But anyway, they... the. Two women they did go on to later adopt, these three kids.
0: All right, all right.
1: They changed their last names to Hart, and they took them in as their own. And they posted so many beautiful Facebook pictures with them and just showed everyone in their lives, like, a picture-perfect family that made everyone jealous of them. And just when the people who were watching via Facebook didn't think it couldn't get any more perfect, Sarah and Jennifer announced that they're going to be taking in three more children who were siblings as well. Okay. Their names were Sierra, Devante, and Jeremiah. All right. So their situation was unique. Their birth mother had actually lost them in the system due to, like, drug abuse problems. And it said that when she lost them, one of the fathers, because they each had a different father... Tried to, like, fight for them, but for whatever reason, the court just wouldn't give these children to him. And their aunt, who was their father's sister, tried to take in these three kids, too, but she wasn't able to in the end after, like, she jumped through so many hoops. Like, she even went and sold her three-bedroom house and bought a five-bedroom house so she could, like, have enough space for them and satisfy the courts. But one day, when the kids were just, like, in between situations... And in the aunt's care, the social worker showed up at the front door, and the aunt was at work, and the kid's biological mom was there babysitting them. So she wasn't allowed to be alone with them, unsupervised. So when the social worker like found that out, they took the kids, and they went into the system, and they just didn't come out. So Jeez. that's basically how these three children ended up in the Hart family. Yeah. And they eventually became adopted by them as well. So now they are this perfect family of six. Sadly, though, very early on, starting in 2008, there were signs of abuse going on with these children.
0: Yeah, I would say from... Behind closed doors. Weird post is what indicated that to me, too.
1: Yeah, weird post. Covering
0: your bases.
1: Yeah, true. So the first reporting was with six-year-old Hannah while she was in school. The uh, teacher saw her arms and she had bruises all over her. And when they asked her what happened, she told the teacher that her mom beat her with a belt. So the teacher, I guess, looked at her like more closely after this claim and realized that she had bruises all over her body. So it was reported to CPS. And when CPS went to speak to Jennifer and Sarah, they said that she fell down the steps and that Hannah just didn't remember it. Okay. So they got out of that. And then two months later, Jennifer and Sarah withdrew Hannah from school and then eventually withdrew all of the kids from school as well. Whoa. Red flag.
0: Yeah, huge red flag. Huge red flag.
1: In 2010, they started going to a new school then. They get put into a new school, and the teachers at the new school started noticing signs of abuse as well. So six-year-old Abigail Hart started talking about how she had an owie, um... And when she was questioned by the teachers about this, she said that her mother, Jennifer, grabbed her by the neck and held her head under the water. And when the teachers asked why Jennifer would do this, uh, she said it was because she had a penny in her pocket and her mother said that she stole it.
0: What the fuck? She
1: also told the teachers that her mother punched her.
0: Oh, Uh, my God.
1: So the police get involved now. Then they went over to the Hart House and interviewed all of the children. And all of the children told police that they were spanked, grounded, and denied food when they were in trouble. All of them. But when Jennifer and Sarah spoke to the investigators, Jennifer said, Oh no, Abigail has it all wrong with the punching and whatnot. I didn't do that. Sarah did. Okay. And Sarah took the blame for it. So, Sarah was arrested for domestic abuse, and she was put on one-year probation and community service. (sighs) Yeah. Um, So, at this point in time, it said that Sarah, you know, Sarah's the one who worked. Jennifer, the vivacious one, was the stay-at-home mom. Okay. So, for Sarah to be the one that did that to Abigail just seems odd, and a lot of people believe that Jennifer had Sarah just take the fall for her, of course. Because Abigail said it was Jennifer who did it to her. Yeah,
0: right.
1: Yeah. So now, because of this whole situation and teachers at different fathers' call, uh, and teachers at different facilities calling in CPS, the cops begin to really investigate the two heart mothers. And as soon as Sarah was done with her probation, they packed up and moved from Minnesota. Huh.
0: Isn't Suspect. This, like, this is all also just like huge institutional failures over, over, and over again. How
1: could you admit that you punched your kid in the face? Like Sarah admitted it, even though she probably didn't do it. And all you get is one year community service and probation, and you can go back and live with those kids again.
0: Yeah, like, I are don't you understand. It. Me? It's fucked up.
1: So in 2013, the Hart family moved to West Lynn, Oregon. Okay. They rented a house there, and they had goats and chickens, and they became very well-known in that area. They would go to all these different music festivals, and the kids would, like, dance around, and everyone, like, loved and knew who the Heart kids were when they showed up at these events. Yeah. They were described as having these big smiles and personalities and just so, like, full of love. And even in this new place, Jennifer's Facebook portrayed nothing but smiling faces, and then... (laughs) There was this Facebook post from Jen, another really weird one, from November 5th, 2013. And I'll read it, but it's describing, like, a situation that happened at the grocery store. So it says, checking out at the grocery store, the cashier looking befuddled. What is this? Kid one, big grin. Those are leaks. Cashier continues ringing. I've never seen someone buy so many vegetables. Kid two. Well, we're, we are vegetarians. Vegetables are delicious. Cashier. But your mom didn't even get any snacks for you. Me, biting my tongue. Kid one to kid two. He must not have seen the kale. Kale for the oh, win.
0: Oh, No. Jesus, this is so weird. That
1: didn't happen. What oh. kids are being like, well, we are vegetarians. Vegetables are delicious. Yeah, this is, like, so and like, bizarre
0: and weird. This lady.
1: And, like, the the whole, like, <laughs> guess your mom didn't get any snacks for you. <laughs> he must not have seen the kale. Like, no kid said that. Yeah, no that. kid said
0: that. And no kid <gasps> is fired up that they're only eating vegetables and no
1: Exactly. Snacks. Especially kids who were not raised in this lifestyle they're adopted kids like it's not like they were brought up this way <laughs> like they probably love snacks crazy this that one and
0: also it's like malnourished like leeks and like kale for like these little kids
1: yeah it's so weird that post mm.
0: it's bizarre
1: and this is I mean this post is even more eerie though when you find out that the kids at school were saying that they weren't being fed at all so Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So in 2011... They're projecting
0: everything they're going to do before they do it or while they do it on Facebook. That's what they've been doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh... Cover
0: my bases. Oh, how could you possibly not be feeding them? I posted about it. Yeah. No, I can't be beating them. We have this weird thing going on.
1: Yeah, us. like, I, I posted that she gashed her chin on the table. Like, yep. you know? Yeah. So in 2011, Hannah told a school nurse that she hadn't eaten all day. And at this, Jennifer became so angry with her that she just shoved a banana and peanuts in her mouth, apparently. And when Sarah was confronted about not feeding her kids, Sarah said, oh, she's just playing the food card again. They're always playing the food card. What? But it said that when the heart kids would, like, go to school, other kids would literally bring in food for them. Like... The heart kids were seen before, like grabbing food out of the trash can at school and asking other kids for food. So it came to a, to a point where kids just started bringing them.
0: That's food. so sad.
1: I know. So they were just always hungry. And it's also said that teachers started to notice that the heart kids were very thin and frail. And it did come out later um, that all the kids, like, measured underweight and under height comparatively. Sad. So a child welfare worker would later say that the teachers decided that they weren't going to call CPS or the police anymore because they feared that the kids would be punished for this when they got home. Right. Which is fair because the CPS and the police clearly, like, they're not doing Fucking anything. useless, yeah. So they're just like, we can't call anymore because these kids are going to get even more, like, abused. Yeah, they're going
0: to get hurt because of us trying to help them.
1: Yeah. That's, like, so... It's so dark. Yeah. yeah. So, in 2013, though, the authorities were notified again. I don't know from who, but they were. And it's important to note that the heart Mothers, Jennifer and Sarah, they would always say and tell people that they felt like, because they were a same-sex couple, that that's why people were calling CPS on them, and that's oh, why yeah. they kept moving states. Well, I
0: mean... What's crazy is like that kind of stuff does still happen in the U.S.
1: It's true, yeah.
0: I mean, we're experiencing that kind of stuff happening right now.
1: Yeah, I I'm sure it does happen. But that's fucked up. But it they're is, like yeah, it's not beating their
0: kids, beating the shit out of them allegedly, and
1: to use that as an excuse yeah, when actual people, when people are, are like actually, suffering. Exactly. Yeah, that's messed up. So, friends and family spoke out about this to investigators, and actual friends and family felt like those kids were living in a bad environment. They're like, no, "No, we're not doing this because they're a same-sex couple. Like, we think they're actually living in a bad environment. They would say things like, the kids had to, like, raise their hands before speaking, or that Jennifer did not feed them enough. Like, one time they ordered a pizza, and she gave all six kids, like, small, small slice. And that's it. And then when they went to sleep and woke up the next morning, Jennifer realized that the whole pizza had been eaten and she went off at the kids. She told them they would not be eating breakfast and she made all of them lay in bed for five hours because they ate more pizza than they were supposed to. Oh my God. So friends and family also said that anytime they said anything to Jennifer, like they're being kind of harsh. Why do these kids have to walk in single file lines everywhere and raise their hands to speak? Like, why can't they just have more pizza Jennifer and Sarah, in response, would just cut them off and never speak to that friend or family member again. Okay. Yeah.
0: Totally normal.
1: So investigators would later say that they heard all of this. So they went and interviewed the kids and the heart Mothers, but none of it was substantial enough to remove them from the house. Because if you're hearing, like, oh, you have, they have to raise their hands and they were denied breakfast, like, you know, it doesn't sound like... The worst thing ever when it's put that way. So they just couldn't do anything about it. So now because of all this commotion, once again, the heart mothers packed up all six kids and moved to a new state.
0: Damn.
1: Before this though, we have the famous photo of one of the children, Devante, at the Ferguson rally, part of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I just want to bring this up here because the photo is just like more eerie when we realized like what's been going on. So Devante went viral with this photo. He's like hugging a police officer and sobbing. Like I'm sure you've seen it. Yeah. And just thinking about it now, it's so eerie. Like, I don't know for sure, but maybe he's crying hysterically in this police officer's arms because of how he's being treated at home. Right. Like asking for and help. It was photographed as this like beautiful moment. And Yeah, like, and it was propaganda. Yeah. too. Oh, absolutely. And now you find out like what's been happening. It's like,
0: yeah, that's disgusting. That's a crazy twist to this. I did not expect a photo I knew to come into this.
1: And after all of that, like the hearts were suddenly swept up in like sudden media attention, and they were getting you know a lot of messages from all over the globe. And after this, the hearts attended two post political rallies where the public like was starting to question the heart's choice regarding their children's safety. So then they went dark for six months on social media after this, because apparently Jennifer was filled with anxiety from like all the attention. And she said they were being stopped and harassed, which could be possible. Could be like, <laughs> yeah. Possible, yeah.
0: Especially knowing how a lot of people who are involved in the public-facing side of BLM have...
1: Especially with a photo of, like, a little, like, black boy crying and hugging a police officer, like, how that could be portrayed and, like, of course they were probably getting, like... Yeah, it's probably very fucked. Yeah. So, like I said, they then moved to Washington State, and this was around 2017.
0: Now, the second time they've moved, the third location. They yeah, go. they
1: were in Minnesota, then they went to Oregon, now they're in Washington.
0: Making their way across.
1: Mm-hmm. So when they moved this time, they moved into a house that was on a two-acre lot. It was really nice. And their first neighbor was a pretty good distance away. And that is where the Hart mother seemed to, like, really isolate the children. At this point, the kids were completely homeschooled. Then by March 23rd of 2017, Somebody called authorities on the Hart Mothers again with concerns that the children weren't being fed. But nothing came out of this. In August of 2017, 14-year-old Hannah, around 1.30 a.m., jumped out of the second-story window of the Hart family home and ran as fast as she could to the closest neighbor's house, and she was just, like, banging on the door. And it was a couple that lived there named Dana and Bruce DeCobb. And when Bruce got up out of bed and opened the door, Hannah came in and was like, "Please don't let my mothers find out I'm here," and like begging them not to like tell uh, her mothers where she was. And this couple had already seen the Hart kids before and knew something was kind of weird with them because like they walked in a single file line and they hardly ever came outside. And the blinds rail thin, rail thin. The blinds were always always closed. So she ran into Dana's room and was saying, like, please don't let her get me, and, like, hysterical. So shortly after this, I think Bruce didn't really know what to do and called her moms. Um, I know. I don't know what to do. I guess he probably didn't want to
0: be, like, accused of kidnapping.
1: I guess. What do you do in that situation? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So he called uh, her moms because... Jennifer and Sarah, they just came barging in the door looking for her. And Dana allowed the Hearts to take their child back, but she was like, I'm going to call CPS in the morning. Okay. But then early morning, that same morning around 7.30 a.m., the DeKalb's doorbell rang again, and they found all the Heart children lined up in a row. And for over an hour, Jennifer explained that the children were adopted and that they were drug babies. And are often victims of bullying, and that explained the weird behavior.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So Dana tried to talk to Hannah alone, but Jennifer stepped in saying, we do everything as a family. And Hannah then handed a handwritten note of apology to Bruce and Dana, and it said, dear Dana Bruce... I stopped this morning because I feel awful about disturbing your peace and worrying you in the middle of the night. I was very frustrated with my brother and didn't handle things very maturely, and I'm sorry for telling lies to get attention. I'm working on being more honest and finding better ways to communicate my frustrations. I've been sad about two of our cats dying recently, so I was just very sad and frustrated last night. Thank you for being kind, Hannah.
0: What the fuck?
1: Yeah. Like her mom's literally made yeah, her say, like, you know, I was like, lying this, to get attention. Yeah. So now because of all this, Dana and Bruce were reluctant to get authorities involved. Because I don't know. They're hearing all these things. They don't know yeah. what to believe. But two months later, Dana's father called 911 when he found out about all this. Because it didn't sit well with him that there was possible abuse just next door to his daughter. Like, I listened to the 911 call, and this guy is like, there's something going on at this house. Like, my daughter didn't want to call the police, but, like, they're they're being abused. Like, we need to do something.
0: Wow. That's actually amazing.
1: But there were no follow-ups after that call. Oh, okay. Of course. Yep. Because there weren't any reports after that incident, apparently. So... Since then, these poor
0: kids just being failed over and over and over and over
1: and over and over. How many times did they tell police and other people what was happening? At
0: least five or six,
1: right? And how many times did people see the way these kids were being treated to the
0: point that it was so bad that they knew they couldn't go to the cops?
1: Yeah, it's ridiculous. So, since then, Dana kept an eye out on the children. But the hearts remained very private. They kept their blinds closed. The children rarely went outside. But one day Devante came over and he asked for some tortillas from Bruce, who was working on his truck. And it only became worrying to the couple when Devante kept coming back every week or so with requests like cured meat or like peanut butter or like bread. Like basic foods. Yeah,
0: and stuff that is non perishable.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um and he asked if he if they would, like, leave the food by the fence for him. So Dana tried to get answers from Devonte about this, and eventually he told her that he and his siblings were being withheld from food, so he be- begged Dana not to call the cops because he thought like he and his siblings would get separated because that's probably what his moms were right. telling him. like, you know, if you call the police or talk to anyone, you'll never see your kid your siblings again. so. Eventually, Dana did finally call CPS, and when CPS showed up to the house, they saw the Hart's car pulling into the garage and the garage closing. So they went up to knock on the door, and nobody answered, and they couldn't do anything. So now we're in 2018, and investigators tried to do welfare checks two more times, but they were not able to get anybody to come to the door. Then on March March 24th, 2018, around 3 a.m. Sarah texted her colleague Cheryl saying that she was too sick to go into work for the next day. But two days later, March 26, 2018, Cheryl called 911 because she couldn't get a hold of Sarah since this message. And it seemed like her phone was, like, off or dead now. So she was like, something's going on. And then on that same day, March 26, a German tourist called 911 from California because he was out taking photos at the edge of this cliff, and they looked down and saw this GMC truck 100 feet down off of the cliff, upside down, waves crashing on it, just a destroyed car on the bottom of this cliff. So when the cops got there, helicopters you know they were trying to rescue this vehicle. They found everyone in there deceased. Jennifer and Sarah Hart both were dead, and they were still inside the vehicle. They found Marquette. Uh, they found Marcus, Abigail, and Jeremiah's bodies a few hundred yards away, and they were dead too. And now they're looking for the other three children. But two weeks le- later, they find Sierra's body washed up on a beach somewhere. She was dead, and then a few days after that, a foot that was still in the shoe washed up on a beach, and it was found to belong to Hannah. Devante's body was never found. So at first, investigators are like, how did this happen? This is an accident. But then when they looked at the road, there were no skid marks, so nobody tried to stop. Also, when they pulled out the black box on the GMC truck, they found that it was stuck on 90 miles an hour. So no one tried to stop. They also found that while they were literally about to go over this cliff, Sarah had been Googling things like, can 500 milligrams of Benadryl kill a 120-pound woman?
0: Is death
1: by drowning relatively painless? How long does it take to die by hypothermia? And how easily can you overdose on over-the-counter medication or Benadryl? So police knew now, like, this was a murder-suicide. Right. They also found... What the hell? Yeah. In the toxicology report that Marcus, Abigail, Jeremiah, and Sarah had high levels of Benadryl in their system. And among all four, only Sarah's drug presence passed the toxic level. So that could cause like drowsiness, hallucinations, heart palpitations. Meanwhile, Jennifer, who reportedly like never drank, was drunk. And so after this police got a search warrant into the Hart's home as they're trying to like piece together what happened. They said there wasn't much of anything out of place and the house was clean, but the bedrooms weren't set up for people who had kids. Like there were no toys anywhere. There wasn't enough beds for all the kids. And they also found 11 bottles of wine, even though, like, neither of them drank.
0: That's awful.
1: So there were no pictures of the kids around either. And as to why they did this, like, we don't know. It said that... We'll
0: kind of never know, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it said they were under a lot of financial pressure. And honestly, maybe because they were going to be close to, like, being found out about the abuse they were doing to their kids. Devante still has not been found, but he was pronounced dead on April 3rd, 2019. So this case was just closed very quickly. It was concluded It was concluded that Sarah and Jennifer committed suicide and their children's death was listed as a homicide. Atrocious. Have you not heard this one?
0: I don't know. Yeah. I don't think so. It's atrocious.
1: I remember seeing like the picture of Devante and you know, articles like the eerie truth about this picture, like, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff about that. But I I never, like, looked into it that much. But a sad one.
0: Very sad.
1: Very horrible. The way they were failed. When will we learn?
0: Maybe never.
1: I, I guess. But, like, how can... No one suffered repercussions for this. Like
0: I know, it's it's fucked up.
1: It's so messed up. They basically killed them.
0: And got away with it and could have been stopped.
1: Yeah. And I'm not blaming like the neighbors or friends and family and stuff. The police they don't know what's going on. It's the police and CPS.
0: What the fuck's going on. Yeah. And the laws that make it hard for CPS, you know, to like actually be able to take action.
1: Yeah. That's true. It's not even might not even be their fault either. Anyway. Sorry to start your week off. with a sad note, but...
0: With a bang-bang into the room.
1: It's a sad story. It's a
0: fucked-up story.
1: That, you know...
0: Shall be shared so that it hopefully can stop it from happening again.
1: I hope our little episode stops it from happening again. That would be the dream, right? Enough
0: people make them. Enough people know. The laws yeah. change, you
1: know. That's true. All right. Well, follow the show on Instagram at Spooky Show Pod and write and review on Apple Podcasts. That's and right. have the best week of your entire life. Bing Bye. Bong. <laughs>